buscado un mejor destino para ti, lo que viniera de ti. Welcome to the Inside the Journey podcast. This is episode number 35 for Sunday, January 12th, 2014. I'm Nelson DeWitt. And I'm John Younger. And back again, we're the creative team of the documentary film Identifying Nelson Buscando a Roberto. It's a new year. <laughs> Maybe we need a new intro. What do you think? Or just lose that part. <laughs> no, but if, if, if someone's never heard us before they got to know who we are right they know anyway uh <laughs> we're back after a two-week break i uh i don't really have a good title for today's episode i think i'll figure that out in the editing room um while we you know before this goes live we're going to be talking i guess about the mission statement for the film is that kind of an accurate description well, in act one of the film we're really getting into how you discovered your story, what that was like, a general introduction for people. And then Act 2 is broadening that and putting your story within the context of all of the disappeared children of El Salvador, and also putting your story in the context of disappearances in Latin America during the Cold War. Um, there were disappearances in Argentina, Chile, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, and specifically the language we're looking for here is what the disappeared children have to contribute to that picture. So we're looking for an equivalent statement that ties together Act 2 the same way that your statement in Act 1 did. So we're fishing a little bit here. Is there a place you want to start with that? You talked about publicly and privately, I think you've talked about that your parents... I think actually we did this in the Kickstarter video. Your parents didn't have a voice. Um, and in, in, in El Salvador in the early 80s, if you spoke out, you were targeted and killed. And, and that was, there was a, a lot of fear in the, in the country and how things are, are very different for you living in Massachusetts in 2013. I've always found it interesting that my particular story runs through the heart of the war in El Salvador. My father was the bodyguard of one of the, the the prominent member of the FPL, which was one of the, I think, five different revolutionary groups that that took hold in El Salvador. Uh, my mother did logistics. She was responsible for bringing people and supplies in and out of the country, and you know they were very close to the to high-ranking officials within their guerrilla movements. And highest then, ranking, actually. Highest, yeah. One, one is compared often to Fidel Castro. Yeah, so they were sort of very important people in, that, in their uh, group. And they were witness to the... Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get into all the details, but they were witness to a suicide and the basically the collapse of that that particular party, that group of mm -hmm. people. And from there, I, you know, my story continues with the involvement of the Negropontes and the sort of U.S. involvement in Honduras and with my adoptive parents coming down and knowing very little about the war or anything that was going on when they adopted me. So, you know, 
and and just to clarify this, the importance of it. I mean, Honduras is where a lot of uh, you know Iran Contra was being run out of, and a lot of covert stuff in Central America was focused. The the country of Honduras was referred in U.S. I think foreign policy circles as the USS Honduras. I mean, it was like this mega embassy um, that we didn't see again until Iraq during the war, which John Negroponte was also ambassador there. He was referred to as the proconsul, which is a term that goes back to the Roman Empire, which is like an emperor. <laughs> um, and his wife basically facilitated your adoption. Right. Right. So just by following my story, it it touches upon all of these sort of major events within not only the war in El Salvador, but the the sort of political unrest that was happening during that time. And that that's very hard to articulate and to explain to people. But as I've gotten to know my own story better, you know, you get to see that. And, and I think that's one of the things we're trying to put in the film is just build this narrative. And, and so people can see this very complicated, you know, story or, or uh, chain of chain of events that unfolded. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of one way that it came to mind is is simply that, you know, through me, you you learn about everything that that happened in Central America at the time. But I, I feel like that's very specific to, to my story because um, what, I, what I was going to say earlier is that when we first learned of the disappeared children in El Salvador, I remember my parents almost had the feeling that I wasn't one of them or that I was, uh, you know, my, my story was separate. So it, not that it didn't count, but it was just different. You know, it was an outlier from the typical story. That that's been an interesting part of your journey for me to watch unfold. What yeah. else? Back. When we first taped the Kickstarter video, yep, you were very hesitant to describe yourself as one of the disappeared children, and you said you had never done it before, right? Yeah, not in that way. And, not so not so directly. I feel like. And you kind of owned it in that video. You didn't kind of own it. You did. You yeah. Know? Um, Personally, like as like with a little bit of distance, right, and and with an interest in history, I think that yes, your story is an outlier, but but to say that it's not connected to all these other kids that maybe disappeared in Chalatenango, or like I, I do think it's connected. I think I think your story could shed a lot of light on things. Right. Well, it's like the uh, the Malcolm Gladwell book of the same mm-hmm. name outliers where he examines mm-hmm. the life of you know very prominent people as exceptions that prove the rule right you know in the beginning there was this sentiment of my story is not exactly like the rest of the disappeared therefore you know I'm an outlier therefore I'm not a disappeared child it's it's there's a lot of tough stuff to owning elements of your story, period. You right. know, I think that's common with with a lot of the disappeared children. Um, and I heard a lot of things reflected um, in in other ones where there's a lot of guilt felt by the families of the disappeared. Um, it could be survivor guilt. It could be 
you know, oh, I should have looked more, or, or you know, there's there's a lot of guilt they feel, and it it can it can just it can take years to first just deal with it themselves, and then second to want to speak about it and share it. I guess the other place it it takes me is um, there's this quote that I I forget the movie where I saw it. It was in a movie trailer, and it was talking about uh, the survivors of genocide, I believe. And they were talking about, uh, you know, they interviewed people from Rwanda, from the Holocaust, and one other, maybe Sudan or something. And um, the woman, there's this woman, um, Heidi Fried, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right, but she has this quote that's in the trailer. It says, um, the victims are those who are dead. I survived. I have to do something with my life. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel like that sums it up very well. I guess what I'm... I'm trying to ask you to explore is is uh, not personally well yes personally you, you've ex- explained personally why you have to speak but maybe why you think as as one of the disappeared in a broader sense what that part of your identity is collectively yeah I don't know this is this is hard for me to kind of get out but it, it it goes back to what I was saying before in, in I think, the, the trailer where, you know, I, I'm here because I have to, because I don't know any other way to, to deal with this situation other than to share my story. Um, and, you know, her words are, you know, I, you know, um, I guess she's saying that, you know, the, the dead aren't here to, to talk. You know, the so in our film, you know, the disappeared can't share their stories. All those names on the wall, um, the ten thousand or sorry, thirty thousand names that are on the memorial wall in El Salvador, they can't share their stories. So it's up to us to to share those stories. You know, mm-hmm. they no longer have a voice, and it's up to us to be their voice to to let the world know what happened and. For me, personally, it is a sentiment that that I'm, I don't know, I'm a survivor of something, you know, that I didn't, I was fortunate enough not to experience, but mm-hmm. I am living proof of, you know, it, it, to me, it goes back to being the, the voice of, of my parents because they you know, they didn't have one. And I realized that early on kind of puts a lot of pressure on yourself to, to take on that kind of thing. But, um, I, I think that's where her quote really hit home because it's, it's like, I, I've been given the opportunity to do this. So I have to take it. What place do you think that comes from? I mean, you were adopted when you were two. Yep. You don't have a conscious memory of it, um, and you 
you, you know, you, the, the very quote-unquote normal American existence until you were 17. Um, and, and then for the last, you know, for an equal amount of time, you've lived a different existence. Do you think, like, you can boil down where that comes from? That need to be a voice when, for a long time, you know, this wasn't, this wasn't even imaginable? That's a really good, uh, good point. It's in my blood, right? Like, I'm the son of revolutionaries. And I don't know if it's, if it's, like, just genetic, <laughs> like we have this rebellious attitude, <laughs> and that's why, or if it's just the impact of, um, I don't know if it's the impact of being 16 and having this unbelievable story just sort of dumped on you, and, and you know, I was still uh, somewhat, somewhat young and, and trying to figure out what it all meant, and uh, maybe it's a, just a combination of the two, you know. Like, you're given this, I'm given this incredible story, and the other, uh, I'm given this story that half of me just, you know, can't even really imagine or relate to, and then the other half of me wants to, um, you know, share it and talk about it, because, you know, it's... You know, you know that that picture of me in the in the soldier's arms. I think really mm -hmm. was something formidable when I was younger, because it was this um, this sort of out of body experience where I'm looking at myself, and I know that's me, but I have no memory of that moment of that ever happening. Um, <laughs> it's quite it is. I don't know how to describe it. It's like you're you're looking at your own life through someone else's eyes. You know, it's an out-of-body experience where you can't... Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know how to put it into words, but I, I think that particular photo um, was very powerful for me when I was 16. It had a profound mm -hmm. impact on me. So part of it is is you know my how old I was, and um, I think part of it is uh, you know just my lineage. You know my my grandmother. You think of that photo where she's holding, you know where where they have the picture of my mother and she's grilling this guy, you know, and she's like staring through him. Uh, and he's he's he was the head of security for the FMLN. Um, back then, and for the recent, the current president, he isn't still, but he was a big deal, and she, she, she looks scary to him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she, she, she looks in command of that that um, situation. situation. <laughs> you know, to think about everything that that she did to track me down. You know, like she, you know, when everyone else in the family was telling her, "Don't do that. You know, it's dangerous." You know, she doesn't give up, and and she also 
went and questioned the president of Honduras while the war was still going on. Yeah, I mean, who, she who would not was... not have been supportive of her cause and uh, right, and I could mean, have hurt her, you know. She did these incredibly just I don't know. I, I guess we would say brave things, but for her it was just you know what. She was on a mission. She had to find her grandson. Uh, so you know that <laughs> that's my lineage, right? So uh, maybe mm-hmm. maybe it is a bit of nature versus nurture, and and I think that my um, my adoptive parents they've always uh, uh, looked out for others' well being, even people that they don't know. So I think being raised in that environment and then given the story and given my lineage, it's, it was just something that um, I always knew that I would be doing one day. One more point, which is, you know, okay. in the press conference yep. in, at Pro-B, there were like 12 to 15 of the disappeared children who stood up out of the 30 to 40 that were there. Um, and, and everybody was given a chance to say whatever they want, you know. And the thing you said... Um, was essentially that you wanted to meet these other disappeared children because it was such a large gathering um, because what you had said at the time was that this is something we live with every day and you got, you know, a lot of, there was a lot of response amongst your peers of that's right, you know, um, even people that had undergone torture and I mean, it, was, it really seemed to strike a chord, and I feel like there's something around around that 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 we're that that we're looking to put at the heart of Act Two. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, we you do live it because it's not something that you ever get over. You don't. I mean, I've talked about this before. I've talked about how I've come to terms with what happened and I'm okay, you know, and and um, I understand it and, you know, but you don't get over it, you know. And, And my mom alluded to this when she was on that every now and then there are moments when topics of conversations or, you know, films that you want watch or quotes that you hear come up and it just, and it just floods back. Yeah. And you can't, like it, it doesn't go away. And I think that we are that, you know, because we live with it, we can't we can't avoid it so other people may be able to go home and forget about what happened in El Salvador but we can't because you you wake up with it and even even though I grew up here in the US when I learned about this and I and I started to to meet my family even more I think that that made it even more real for me you know so it, it this need to share what happened and talk about it in memory and I guess solidarity for you know everything that happened it just grew stronger because these because you realize that um, 
Yeah, you're you're their voice. We are their voice. Mm-hmm. You lived. Yes, we lived. Well, um, okay, that's it for this episode, um, which I think was. Appreciate people listening through the creative process a little bit, and and Nelson really sharing some good tough things to talk about, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.